Welcome everybody to the podcast today for May 25th, 2016. Today is the final episode, grand finale, if you will, of the my series running through X-Men films. I've done every other X-Men film, including the one just released, X-Men Apocalypse. Done them in a weird order, where I did X-Men 1 Apocalypse and then in chronological order. That makes perfect sense. You'd swear I planned this stuff. Today I'm talking about X-Men Days of Future Past, which is definitively the best X-Men film. I can say that with a great deal of confidence. In fact, I'm going to rank them right now for you. I'm not going to make you wait till the very end of the podcast to rank them. It's Days of Future Past, The Wolverine, X-Men Apocalypse, X-Men First Class, though they might be, they're the most interchangeable of, the, of this definitive list. So definitive, I just said two are interchangeable. X-Men 2, X-Men 1, X-Men Origins, and X-Men 3. So that, that is the definitive ranking of all of the X-Men films. But why is X-Men Days of Future Past number one, you ask? Well, that's an interesting question. It features the return to the franchise of Brian Singer for the first time since X-Men 2, or X2 if you will, because that's what the film is actually technically called, or X-Men 2 United in certain international markets. Brian Singer returned to the franchise for the first time in 11 years, 2003 to 2014, and this was the sequel to X-Men First Class, so McAvoy, Fassbender, and Lawrence were all back, and they were joined by the original cast. It was the two X-Men universes colliding in a time-traveling romp. So Hugh Jackman was back for the full film, not just a cameo like in First Class. Obviously, Stuart and McKellen were back to play the older versions of Magneto and Professor X. Ellen Page was back as Kitty Pride. She played a fairly large role in the film. Obviously, Kitty Pride is a more important character in the comics. She's the one that's sent back in time in the comics. Whereas, let's face it, Hugh Jackman is the biggest star of this film. You're going to send this biggest star back in time rather than... Ellen Page is Kitty Pride, but they, they do give Kitty Pride some stuff to do in this film. It's not like, get out of the way, Shadowcat! Wolverine's in town! And let's face it, Wolverine is the star of the X-Men Cinematic Universe, or whatever they call it. I don't think there's a name for the X-Men Universe, I think it's just the X-Men Film Universe. They don't come up with a, a cute name, but Wolverine is, is that universe's star. Hugh Jackman has always been the most featured actor in that universe, so it kind of makes sense to send him back in time. Also sees the return of Halle Berry as Storm, Anna Paquin as Rogue, briefly. She plays a larger role in the extended cut, which features her in a little action scene in the X-Mansion. Not really worth watching, I actually think the, the cinematic cut works a little better. And the introduction of Peter Dinklage as Bolivar Trask, the man who creates the Sentinels and creates the end of the world universe. This film wins me over in the first like two minutes because there's a scene of, of desolation and and I want to say apocalypse but that's the next film. Desolation, destruction in the opening scene where the sentinels have taken over the world, they've killed all the mutants, everything is sad and horrible and it's being voiced over by Patrick Stewart and then it cuts to the classic X-Men film universe theme song over the titles and that, that literally, the film could be terrible, the film could literally be woeful and I'm already on board. <laughs> you have the theme song and you have a Patrick Stewart voiceover, you're gonna win me over pretty much no matter what. In fact it then goes straight into a scene which is one of the better film, one of the better action f scenes in the film, that and the, the very closing action scene where basically in both scenes the Sentinels go mad and kill a bunch of people. But in the opening scene, the Sentinels kill most of the X-Men you love and some of the ones you don't really know but have cool powers. Because Sean Ashmore is back as Iceman, Omar Sy played Bishop, Colossus is back, Blink and Sunspot and Warpath, all mutants I'd never heard of, but they're in this film. They all got murdered in the first few minutes, particularly Iceman, that's particularly graphic, because the idea is, is the Sentinels have used Mystique's DNA to adapt and adjust to all mutant powers, so when Iceman shoots them with ice, they develop heat things to, to overcome it. And Iceman has his head crushed 
his head is chopped off and then a sentinel steps on it. That is in the first like 10 minutes of this film and the, <laughs> it's super graphic. That reminds me of, uh, I don't think I mentioned this during the Apocalypse review, but that is also a super graphic film. In, like the first few minutes you get people beheaded, you get people crushed by giant blocks. They're, they don't hold back on the violence in the X-Men films. They're not as um, gun shy, if you will, as the Marvel films have kind of become or it's more playful violence as opposed to someone just got their head cut off and then freaking stomped on and he's dead. Though then Kitty Pride time travels or sends Bishop back to warn them and no one dies. That's I, I thought that was a really good scene because it establishes the threat that the Sentinels are without killing everyone. It might feel like an easy out. It's like, ooh, time travel, they're not dead. But it does establish that the Sentinels will wreck these people if they actually get their hands on them for real. So the plot is fairly simple. The, the Sentinels are created as a direct result of Bolivar Trask being murdered, so Wolverine is sent back in time to his old self conveniently. Wolverine doesn't age, so that does make it a little easier to cast. The idea was that they were going to send Professor X back, but mumbo-jumbo, he wouldn't have survived the trip. But Wolverine, with his healing factor, Wolverine could survive the trip. At least they made sense of it. Because this is based on a comic, I've never read the comic, but I've watched the episode of the 90s animated show that it, that based on the, the Days of Future Past comic by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And that is a really good TV episode. That show did a lot of these plots really, really well. I actually might do a, a rewatch of that show and <laughs> do an episode by episode podcast on it. I'm not going to subject you to that. This film actually, interestingly, it does represent the natural endgame of all of the X-Men themes. The worst case nightmare scenario is that humans round up mutants and murder them for basically who they are and the threat they pose and that is what the dystopian future presents there are a handful of mutants left a lot of the main mutants have already been killed though interestingly none of the oh no beast is dead beast has been killed in in the future because like obviously cyclops and jean gray are already dead in the future they were killed in the last stand so yeah beast is one of the the mutants that has gone away i was gonna say like that none of the original x-men have, have been killed off they all conveniently survive but no they don't beast beast is beast is super dead until the closing credits scene. But it, it does represent the natural endgame of the, in many ways, every film to date. This is the nightmare scenario and it's happened and how do they stop it from happening? Time travel, that's the answer. This film is a film very much rooted in the 70s. There, there's a very 70s feel both in the dress and the kind of almost the style of the film, especially some music. I do, I do love the way though that the, the X-Men prequel films, Days of Future Past, Apocalypse in the First Class, they all present the X-Men world as a snapshot, it's uh, each film is set give or take ten years apart. So the the films aren't, in some ways, natural sequels to one another because they don't play with all the same ideas. Like a lot of the mutants have died. A lot of the mutants from first class have died. The likes of Banshee and Azazel, they've died in this film. Back in the seventies, not at the hands of Sentinels, they've already been killed by humans in the seventies. So the a lot of the connecting threads aren't really there. It's like here's a snapshot of this universe in the sixties. Ten years later, the universe is radically different. Here's another snapshot, and ten years later, it's the same. Each each snapshot of the larger, broader X-Men universe is an interesting look at where these characters are at particular moments of time, as opposed to direct sequels to one another, playing off one another, and obviously themes and plots and stuff like that keeps keeps a kind of through line. But it, it it's not a comprehensive look at the overall chronologically a comprehensive look at the X-Men. Professor X is a broken man in this film. He has lost his hope due to the. the kind of failing friendship of Magneto and Mystique and he lost his legs and then the Vietnam War got a lot of his students and teachers and drafted them in so he's just you know sitting there in his house by himself and he can't handle the pain and the suffering and all the voices in his head and he's lost his hope and the film is about him finding hope again. There are three there are three real key scenes in the film by the way 
Actually, before I get to that, Bone Claws. Why? Why? I know he's sent back to the 70s, so he doesn't have adamantium again. But Wolverine has Bone Claws again, and this this universe, I swear he has Bone Claws more than he has Metal Claws in the frickin' X-Men films. Why do they want me to look at the stupid Bone Claws? Ah, ah. <laughs> there were three kind of key scenes in this film, the three scenes I think the film builds around or are most cool or important that that kind of stand out. The first is, of course, the Quicksilver scene. Evan Peters, Peter Maximoff, or Quicksilver, or Magneto's son, as it turns out, and that becomes a thing in X-Men Apocalypse, that he's the son of Magneto. They introduce his character in this film, and he plays a relatively small role. He's not in the film for the whole whole two hours, ten minutes, I think, is the runtime. He's only in the film for a good 20 minutes. But there is a scene where he is running around the Pentagon kitchen, taking out a bunch of guards while listening to Time in a Bottle. And it's amazing. It's actually, it's it's so brilliantly shot and produced and, and performed that they tried to do it again in Apocalypse. And as I said in the Apocalypse re- review, they, they matched it. But if there, there's anything you watch from this film, if you've not seen this film and you don't want to commit two hours, ten minutes, one, you should because it's a really good film. But that one scene with Quicksilver is just mind-blowing in how brilliant it kind of executes a speedster's powers and displays what, what he can do in a very short period of time and has a great sense of humor about it as well. The second scene is the scene where both Professor X's meet because the way the film works is that there's the future and the past and the only connecting person is Wolverine. He's the only person that meets both the past bunch of people and the future bunch of people, but through mindness. I think he looks into the mind of Wolverine and then Professor X also looks into, older Professor X looks into the mind of Wolverine and they meet in there or something, I don't know. (laughs) It doesn't matter. But where James McAvoy and Patrick Stewart's Professor X's come face to face and they have a conversation about the importance of using your anger and not giving into it, but using it to motivate you and make the world a better place and not to give up on people, even though they might have given up on you. And you want them to show them a better way and you want to keep hope never give up hope and that that theme carries into apocalypse where magneto has also given up hope and professor x has not yet given up hope because of that conversation he had in days of future past with himself because time travel plus it's james mcavoy and patrick stewart face to face it's awesome and the last is the the giant middle finger to brett ratner which is the end of film scene where wolverine wakes up in x mansion in the present and he's just wandering around, Beast is alive, and Cyclops is alive, and Jean Grey is alive, and everything that happened in X-Men The Last Stand, and everything that happened in X-Men Origins Wolverine has been undone. None of it happened. Wolverine remembers it all, which I think is important, because the way the film universe has been built around him, I think it would be fairly cheap if you took away those experiences and how formative they were, and where the character is, and who the character is. Wolverine does remember everything that happened, including the, the future that never came to pass, plus the past that has been undone. Wolverine remembers it all, but it hasn't happened. It didn't never happened. That must be fun for Wolverine, dealing with all that misery and pain, even though it didn't happen. It's still part of him. Those those three kind of key scenes, those are what the film really works around. It's it's the best X-Men film by a landslide, because it's it's fair enough you have Magneto lifting a building and uh, it's not even a building he lifts a freaking baseball stadium and drops it over the White House you have some spectacle in this film they, they don't uh, they kind of hold back on the spectacle but it's grounded in what I said about the other X-Men films it's grounded in character it's grounded in the relationship between Professor X Magneto and Mystique and that is the driving force of the film plus Magneto is as usual just out for himself 
He's there to help until he isn't. Because that's the way the way Magneto has and will always work. So that that is the end of the X-Men reviews. I'm sure you're very disappointed that I've gotten through all of the X-Men films. So why not just go back and listen to them all again? If you want. I don't know. Or don't. Tomorrow, I will be talking about E3 with the lovely Tanner. Tanner's back for a third time. So listen to that. Thanks for listening. And bye-bye.